Hello, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about mobile development for mobiles, on mobiles, with mobiles. This show is hosted by Jake McMullen. Good evening. And Ben Trangrove. Hello. And myself, Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is episode number 62, and it's supported by our amazing patrons over at Patreon. Thank you very much to all of you for your support. It's amazing. And uh, we have follow-up. Yeah, so I, I believe someone said something about Cordata. Yeah. So two episodes ago, back in episode 60, we were talking about WWDC. Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. Mm-hmm, AKA Dub Dub. And during one of the conversations that we had, we were talking about how during a couple of the sessions, they were quite salesy as far as core data was concerned. And I found it really weird and was pointing that out. And uh, I believe Ben at some point asked me why I didn't like core data. You guys listened to the episode again. Yeah. Your recollection is correct. I might have listened to this episode a few times during editing. Um, so, you know, I could possibly have it memorized. But during that conversation, I did say that one of the problems with core data is that it doesn't have many-to-many joins for entities. And that is incorrect. And also, Jake said it. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely went with you on that and um, started reminiscing about how EOF used to do things, mm, mm. Uh, assuming mm. that, yes, Core Data wasn't as uh, capable. And um, Core Data does do many-to-manys. Yes. And it, you don't have to manage the joint entity yourself. But I blame Ben. Yeah, because I even knew that. And I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Because I've done it before. <laughs> On reflection, I've done it before too. And maybe in my defense, I've also have manually added the join entity. Mm. Because in the case where you want to have ordered relationships, yes, you do need to have an entity that allows you to manage the order. Um, so I remember at least one occasion actually exposing the join entity so I could do that. Um, but that's not to say that you can't do the more simple case of a straightforward many-to-many can. And in my defense, it's been several years since I actually used Cordata. There you go. Maybe it's worth revisiting. No, um, no, it's on it's my not. list. No, I'm, I'm going to look at it again. I, I haven't used Cordata because I don't need Cordata right now. I'm working with documents. Okay. Mm. Documents don't need Cordata. Mm. Okay. Mm. But that's all. That's all. All I we we had some feedback that we needed to uh, to you know rectify our set the record straight our <laughs> error. <laughs> And uh, it turns out that you can, in fact, submit bug reports for a podcast because that was a bug report. There you go. We'll just mark it as a duplicate. Yeah. And uh, move on. (laughs) Good. So um, I thought that we could talk today about frameworks. Frameworks. So the problem I'm trying to solve, and I think we all encounter this, is that many apps that we work on tend to have similar needs, right? So that's the whole idea of frameworks, shared code, code libraries. The idea is um, lots of apps do similar things rather than each app having to do that thing themselves. You can take the common things and put them in a shared code base that the apps can access to get that shared functionality. Right. With Coco, I think we're really spoiled because there is so much provided by the system frameworks. Like I think, I don't know, have you guys, um, I suppose, Ben, you have been doing Android development recently. Yeah. How do you think it compares? Uh, the Cocoa one is more complete. I mean, the Android one just uses the Java standard library. So, I mean, it's still very large and has a lot of features, but I I find the Cocoa one is more, maybe has more things 
related to mobile development, whereas Java is more general purpose. Yeah. It's been a while since I've used other frameworks and, and platforms, but certainly when I first started using Cocoa, I was blown away by like how much it does for you. Like the desktop Cocoa, I don't know if it's on iOS yet, has got things for like undo managers. Like I think one of the very first apps I wrote was a document-based desktop app. And the fact that the document-based application template in Xcode gives you like an undo manager, a way of doing managing, saving and loading documents and managing multiple windows, a toolbar and, you know, basically text edit, right? Like you can do an implementation, you can write text edit with almost zero lines of code. It's all pretty much in the frameworks. I don't know of any other frameworks that are quite that powerful that have that much functionality built into them. Undo Manager is on iOS. There you go. Mm. So a lot of the functionality that apps might need is in the system frameworks. But I guess what I'm talking about is when that's not the case. So, you know, there are still lots of things that apps commonly need to do that aren't yet provided by the system frameworks. And I thought it'd be interesting to just talk about a few of these before we get into how we use frameworks. One that we've talked about in the past, if you are a long-time listener to the show, you've probably heard us mention Hanik, image caching library. I've heard of it. You might use it. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a need that that's trying to address is the one of downloading and caching and displaying images, right? That's something that pretty much every single app is going to need to do. There is some stuff built into iOS frameworks for that, but there's also some stuff that's not built in. And so there has emerged a whole heap of options of third-party frameworks for doing that sort of thing. Right, because, I mean, it's all based on, I think it's NSCache or something like that. And it's designed for like the lowest common denominator of, you know, that sort of purpose uh, of a caching kind of thing. And that's kind of the core thing with most of the stuff in Coco is it's designed for maximum flexibility and and so you end up with you know you want to use it in a specific way but that means that you have to you know write boilerplate code every single time that you try to use use it and that's so in the case of NSK and Hanik Hanik kind of the swift one the swift one maybe a little bit less so but the uh Objective C one kind of makes it a little bit more tailored to you know dealing with images and stuff like that, and I guess the Swift one is a little uh, less kind of does too. It's yeah. general purpose, but specific it has the extra nice stuff for images too. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised at sometimes how arbitrary Coco is at where it draws that line. Like it, it whilst I was going on about how much is in there, sometimes it just feels like, for example, there is no way of initializing a UI image view with a URL for the image. Is there? No. Right. That's what no. all of these add. It just kind of feels like, okay, by now there are so many apps that need to load an image that's on the internet and display it in an image view. Maybe it would be worth putting it in the actual framework? Yeah, but the, that that's kind of goes against the maximum flexibility thing, right? Because it's still possible. You just have to wrap it up in all this code to, you know, first yeah. of all, download the thing and then initialize it with it, you know, and, whatever, whatnot. Yeah. And you can completely write that, like write a, you know, a, an extension or a, a category to, in order to do that yourself. And lots of people do. And that's what, so that's what people do, right? Mm. And that way you can kind of customize it to work just exactly the way that you want. Yeah. Yeah. But the real truth is that 95% of the time you want it to do a, you know, one specific way, which is there is an image at this URL, please download it and display it. And if it, you can't display it, then, you know, display this other one. Yeah. Which is kind of what, you know, we're, so that's where the frameworks kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys, have you got any ideas of other places where you're finding yourself doing the same thing in every single app you work on? Definitely 
in terms of the data layer. So there's, you know, I mean, we already talked about core data, but there's a million other ones out there. So that's a pretty common one. Like just sort of persisting content to disk, getting it back off of disk later. Yeah, there's so many different ways to do it. And each one has an advantage and a disadvantage, but you still always pretty much have to do it. You've got to save and persist your user's data somehow. Yeah. So that's a very common problem. Right. And even with core data, you've got a lot of flexibility and boilerplate that you kind of are working with so that you can get it to work exactly the way that you want it to. Mm. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, another one that I do all the time is deal with network APIs. You know, make a network request for some data, usually JSON, get the values out of the JSON and stick them into a data structure. Yeah. So all of these, to me, are basically... Whenever I find myself doing the same thing from one application to the next to the next, I kind of think, okay, this, you know, what are the options here for dealing with this? And I guess one option is to write original code to do the thing. And Kelly, you alluded to this with add a category for UI image to load an image from the network. Right. Like that's completely an option, write that code. Another option is to reuse code that has already been written. Potentially, you might re- want to reuse code you wrote yourself. And this is where frameworks come in, right? It's right. a way of packaging up code so that it can be used again in a different application that's doing the same thing. Right. So I guess if you're going down this path of wanting to reuse code, there's a few things that you need to do. Firstly, I guess you need to find have a way of discovering code uh, that does the thing that you want to do. If you're using a third-party yeah, solution. If, if you're using your own code, I guess you still need to discover where you put it. <laughs> Rem- remember, um, but this is actually seriously. I find this challenging. How do you know that something exists that does the thing you want? I guess you could search places like GitHub for whatever you're trying to find. Although I've never found that to be particularly useful because you'd end up with projects that are not written for what you're like for your particular platform or whatever i guess you could also try like the coco pods listing which is kind of more specific to ios and os 10 although I, I i'm guessing that that's completely and utterly useless for something like um for something like um android yeah no the, I, I still think the best method is just to google your problem and then you pretty <laughs> much always end up at a stack overflow answer that says i use this framework yeah and it's great and then you click it and then it takes you to their GitHub. That's true. That's <laughs> like 95% of uh, Stack Overflow answers. Use this framework. So the nice thing about that is that Stack Overflow has this reputation system, an upvoting system, and you get some way of... If that answer is a single random answer from someone with no reputation and uh, no one has upvoted it or started um, and it's a few years old and you know, I'm less likely to actually follow that link and look at the framework than if it's an answer that's recent that's got a gazillion upvotes from someone with you know lots of reputation. Then yeah. I'm going to go, okay, this sounds like a framework I'm going to look at. It's not mobile-specific, but have you ever tried searching for JavaScript errors, like JavaScript problems on, on Stack Overflow? I have. Because 95% of the time you will get your the most votes on an answer will be for some jQuery thing or whatever. And then way down, a few answers down will be, you know, an actual just pure JavaScript way of doing it, which is, which means that you don't have to, you know, if you're writing in pure JavaScript, you don't have to include jQuery in order to just get one. One, one function. One function. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm probably someone who more readily runs to add a third-party framework to solve a problem than 
writing the code myself, but I do recognize that like there is a cost to having third-party dependencies. Yes. And if you add one just to do something that you could have done in a couple of lines of code, then I think you're adding, yeah, the, the trade-off isn't worth it. But I think that discovery issue is is a is a still a really good one of how how to know there are some websites like um one called Coco Controls. So I like the idea behind it. It's kind of like a catalog of reusable Coco UI controls. So it's usually things that have got a UI to them that have widgets, buttons, uh, interface elements. Um, and the idea is that it lets you see what they look like, read a little bit about it. Uh, people can rate controls that they like, and then it links off to GitHub repos and things. Yep. I like the idea, but I don't like the quality of the controls that I've seen on it. I've occasionally come across it and just browsed through and haven't really found, you know, th- there's a large number of controls submitted that are kind of been written as a one-off thing that I'm less likely to, I guess, want to use than something that is more widely used and more well-supported and documented and maintained. But the other thing you need to have is a way to get it, to get the code onto your machine. Well, if you if it's on somewhere like GitHub, you can just clone it, clone it, download a zip file containing it. Yep. Yep. The worst way. True. But it works. <laughs> well, it's it's the very basic way. Like, it's the most basic way. Yep. So, so far, uh, the one approach to using frameworks is to Google for your problem till you find an answer on Stack Overflow, follow the links to the GitHub page, and download a zip file containing the code. That would work. <laughs> Might not be the best. So cloning the repository to your local to the local um, you know, project folder or whatever is how I deal with the libraries frameworks that I write myself. So if I'm working on you know a particular framework. I don't know, static tables, whatever, and I use that as part of my app, then what I tend to do is rather than using one of the other solutions, I will include it as a sub-module and deal with it that way. Part of the reason that I do that is because it means that I can make changes and then commit them back into the repository. Yeah, definitely. So Git sub-modules are certainly better than just downloading the code oh, in yeah. your browser or, or randomly cloning the repo somewhere and then using it. So the idea of a Git sub-module is... So your project is in Git. Yep, your framework project. Well, you're just your project. Your app project. Your uh, app project. I, I hope all of your projects are in Git or, or something, you know, something material, along those lines. Subversion. Yeah, so your app project is in Git, and instead of adding a bunch of framework code to your project directly, yes, you add a sub-module, yes. which references another Git repo right. that contains the source code for that framework. And points to a specific commit. Commit. Yep, so you're basically saying this app is going to use static tables as of this specific version. Yes. And so you don't actually have to have a second copy of the static tables code. When you check out your app code from Git, it just has a reference. Exactly. So the commit to the static tables repo that should be pulled in order to satisfy that dependency, basically. And I agree. There's a great, the, the good advantage of that is that you've got the code for the framework and the code for your app kind of on the file system together in your Xcode project together. Uh, if you're adding a new feature to your app, that means you suddenly go, oh, hang on, it would be really cool if there was this feature in the framework that supported it. You can just go in and write it, and yep. then you can commit that change to the framework's right. repo mm-hmm. and just change the reference to which commit you're... To the new commit. To the Git yep. submodule. It's a nice way of doing it. But there are downsides to using submodules. Well, I also want to say that Git submodules don't have to just be for your own code. Like a lot of people use them successfully with third-party code because you get 
instant updating, basically. So if things change upstream, your favorite framework producer puts out a new release, commit, whatever, you can just pull it in yeah, without having to go to the website and then download the zip and then drag it in. And then you also have to work out if there's any new files or if some files have changed or have been deleted and then drag them out of your Xcode. So it's a mess. But at least with submodules, you can it just does it automatically. But the problem with submodules is they completely fall apart when your submodule also includes a dependency that your main app needs. Because now you're going to have copies of that dependency all over the place and your app's not going to build because it'll be trying to link with duplicate symbols. Right. And so now you've got to, in your submodule, basically make a fake version or branch it or something to remove that dependency because it's going to be satisfied higher upstream. And that's just, that's awful because now you can't update it really. We can, but it's a lot of effort and it just gets really messy. And the other problem with submodules is they're really hard to delete. If you change your mind, you're like, I don't need this anymore. In recent Git versions, you, there is a submodule remove command, but it still, it doesn't really work that well. Like it won't remove the actual folder from your source code. It just removes the reference in Git to that folder, but your folder's still there, so it's not going to automatically be deleted on other people's machines. And you got to tell people, I'm not using that anymore. You can delete it. And yeah, so they get messy very quickly, which is annoying. Right. And so that's kind of part of the reason why I only use them for my own libraries, because I'm, a, I'm going to want to, you know, update, make changes to as the app kind mm. of, uh, or the apps that they, uh, that use it, uh, you know, grow and change. Yep. Um, but also on top of that, uh, like I'm only going to add it like there's there's very few and I'm only going to add them specifically when I want them and I don't have to you know I'm not managing several uh you know that I'm not going to be touching or changing or making any difference to. Does the Git repo that you're adding as a submodule to your app repos have its own Xcode project and build its own target? Yes. So you don't tend you don't just add have it as a place to keep source code that then becomes part of your app's binary. No, they they, they produce, produce their own... F- artifact. They produce their own actual, you know, dynamic framework that gets embedded into the uh, or static library um, for, you know, a couple of the older ones. Yeah. Because I'm not using Pure Swift yet, so, you know, there's that. Yeah, so th- I guess that's the other thing, that if you want to use third-party code in your app, there are a few different ways of adding the code. One is you can just add class files. Uh, Objective-C class files or Swift to your app's sources directory, compile it as part of your app, and that code becomes part of your binary. I don't think that's a good idea, but no. it is one way. Another is that you use a separate artifact, um, and it used to be static libraries were only supported on iOS, and then as of iOS 8, we got dynamic frameworks. Yes. So if you're building for 8 only, or 8 and later, mm-hmm. um, then you can use frameworks if you need to support uh, 7 or earlier then you need to use static libraries. Um, and some things let you do both, potentially. So you can you can actually set up your projects to do both, and I have. So, for instance, the uh, static tables project that I maintain yep. is set up to do both. So you've got two targets. Yes, and you can select which one um, you build. that you're you know, building and, yep. uh, and linking against within your when you actually put it into your app. Cool. So I guess, you know, this has been a very long introduction to start talking about tools that help manage this process for you. And we've probably all heard of or and or used one at least of these, uh, CocoaPods being probably the most popular. So basically CocoaPods is a tool that tries to address all three of these things you need to do in order to use third-party code. It helps you to discover code that you might want. So it has a kind of 
central directory of pods. Yep. And a website that lets you search them. So you go to cocopods.org and it's got a lovely big search box. You just start typing and it will give you a list of things. Sometimes the fonts take really long time to load up and it's just a blank page with a big square box on it. But then once they load, it's lovely and fast when you start typing. Yes. Also, another awesome CocoaPod feature to help with discovery that hardly anyone knows about is PodTry. Have you guys used PodTry? I have once or twice, yeah. I haven't. Tell me about it. It it just pulls in a sample. So if you set up your CocoaPod right, you can say, like, this is the sample project that goes with this pod. And so in your terminal, you just go PodTry and then the repo's address. Or the, no, sorry, the CocoaPod name. And it will just open up an Xcode project with the sample project. So you can just hit play and you can scroll through the code and see how it works and go, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I'm trying to solve. That's awesome. Or if you don't like it, you just go, okay, cool. And it's just gone. Like it, It's not like it messes with your own project in any way. Yeah. It's just a quick way to give it a go. It's the Frameworks version of a playground. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. It's separate from, well, I guess related to iOS development. I really like how Xamarin handles this exact problem. Uh, so the Xamarin IDE includes tools for all three of these. It includes a catalog of Xamarin components, either free or paid, that you can search to discover what's available. And there are ratings that people have submitted so you can see what other frameworks people have liked. Um, you can read a description. There's a, one button which is add to solution as a way of getting the code. Uh, it, most frameworks bring with them an example project which is added to your solution automatically when you add the framework. Um, so you can just then start using it straight away. Yeah, I think Xamarin does it really nicely. We don't have an equivalent in something that is integrated into the IDE that, you know, lets you search the catalog. I think CocoaPods is a useful tool, as we've discussed, sort of outside of Xcode for discovery. It also does, um, so uh, kind of part of their list of repos, they have, um, so they actually take details about the repos and will try to tell you um, whether or not they're actually good by... Um, seeing how much they're documented, uh, whether they're being tested, whether they've got unit, whether they've got unit tests written for them. Also, like Cougarpods will give like a, a mark. Yes, it's kind of cool, so that you can kind of see how healthy, you know, how yeah. active they are, um, so that you're not adding. So, I mean, in in that way, Cougarpods is kind of an excellent way of just finding, regardless of whether or not you're using both Cougarpods, it's an excellent way of finding projects. Yeah, um, that you want to use. Cool. And then also CocoaPods does the bit that lets you uh, use the code in your app. Right. Uh, so it'll, if your app is in a Xcode project, uh, CocoaPods will create a workspace that contains uh, both your project for your app, plus it'll create a project for any of your third-party dependencies, pods, um, and will make it so that your app project depends on the pods in the pods projects. So it kind of sets up that, dependency relationship between your app and the third-party libraries for you. Right. That's the kind of Xcode configuration. So then all you need to do is open up the workspace and build, and your app can use that code. And I think it's important to note that if you make changes to your workspace, they will stick around. Yeah. So my libraries that I use, um, that I get using submodules, are added as part of my workspace. So I've got, you know, several projects down the side of my workspace. Uh, and it doesn't mess with doesn't those. Mess with those it only updates the things that it needs to actually touch, which is really cool. Um, so there's also a new, I, I say that because it's probably not that new anymore, but there's a new kid in town, Carthage, for doing dependency manage for iOS. Right. I've recently started using it. 
It's, it's the different. cool kid. Is it the cool kid? I think it's the cool kid on the block. Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's I why would say it is I've the cool kid. Using it. Yes. So it's interesting. It's different from Cocobots. Basically, one one of the things that I found it interesting is Carthage def- sort of uh, defines itself like relative to Cocopods. It describes what it's not. So they're from their website. Their kind of um, little summary of what Carthage is. They say Carthage is intended to be the simplest way to add frameworks to your Cocoa application. And it's saying that it's different from CocoaPods in that um, the goal of CocoaPods is listed in its readme as follows, to improve discoverability of and engagement in third-party open source libraries by creating a more centralized ecosystem. That's not in the CocoaPods readme anymore, but it is still on the Carthage website, so I don't think it's that fair because I'm not sure that CocoaPods is really highlighting that centralized nature. But anyway, Carthage has... Defined itself as being decentralized, specifically in opposition to the centralization of CocoaPods. Regardless of whether it, whether CocoaPods is highlighting their centralized nature or not, they are centralized. Yeah. That is the nature of CocoaPods. It is. Uh, so Carthage's decentralized dependency manager. Again, this is now quoting again. There's no central list of projects which reduces maintenance work and avoids any central point of failure. However, project discovery is more difficult. Users must resort to GitHub's trending pages or similar. Or as we've talked about, Stack Overflow, or even CocoaPods, or however it is you learn about what exists. Essentially, Carthage just doesn't do the discovery part at all. At all, no. doesn't try to at all. So basically, all Carthage does for you, really, is the download code. Uh, it doesn't add the frameworks to your project for you. Um, basically, all it does is downloads third-party code and builds it, or rather uses Xcode build to build it, but it does the downloading code cleverly. So basically how it works, similar to CocoaPods in that you have a pod file where you list your dependencies. In Carthage, you have a cart file, and in the cart file, you list the third-party frameworks your app depends upon. Um, And then you do Carthage update, and it will go and download those the source code for those frameworks from the places you specify. Plus their dependencies, which is the big, the big thing it's solving. It's got to solve that full dependency tree, which is where it gets its improvement over just straight up submodules. Right. Although CocoaPods has that same. CocoaPods does have yeah, that definitely. same thing now. It, yeah. CocoaPods has that same thing, but that's the point. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, that's the, the whole massive point of problem it. everyone tries to solve is the dependency tree. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and Carthage will only resolve those dependencies if the projects you depend upon themselves have cart files that list the dependencies that they depend upon. Really? No, because I would have thought it would have... The major point I found with Carthage is they think a lot of the CocoaPod stuff is redundant because a lot of that information is already in Git. Like, there's no point in having a centralized repo because they're all on GitHub anyway, or similar. Mm. And there's no point in listing all your dependencies because they should be in your repo as submodules or similar. So it should be able to trace that submodule tree I don't know that for sure, but I would have thought that's what they were thinking when they said CocoaPods has a whole pile of redundancy. Yeah, so interestingly, the thing that really impressed me about Carthage was not so much the process of using it to add frameworks to my code, to my app, but more using it to make a framework I'm writing available for, well, my app at the moment, but potentially other apps in the future. So I've never used CocoaPods before to to make a frame to sort of publish a framework and publish a pod file to describe it so other people can use it. But with Carthage, you don't have to do anything. As a framework yeah. provider, um, all you need to do is share the scheme that builds your target. 
so that I guess it's kind of like making a scheme public. It means that it goes into the repository. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what you need to do. Make sure your scheme is shared and you have to have a tag in your git commit. Because by default, if someone creates a cart file that points to your framework and you don't have any tags, they won't know what code to check out. Basically, by default, it will check out the most recent tag unless the user has specified a specific version. And if the user has specified a specific version, it'll check out the code with the tag that corresponds to that version. So it kind of assumes, it's using this convention over configuration, it assumes that you're using Git and you're using Git tags to tag releases. Right. And users can specify which release they want or it'll just use the latest. So CocoaPods is similar uh, in that it uses tags in order to figure out your versioning. You have to use semantic versioning specifically. So that's major, minor, patch. So with the difference with CocoaPods is that you have to create a pod file or a pod something. Pod spec. Pod spec in your library. Uh, that is a, I want to say YAML file, which is just basically states all of the, you know, basics of, you know, a description, a title, or, you know, which tag is current, what dependencies it has and all that sort of stuff. And then in order to make it available to the CocoaPods, you know, listing, you have to then um, submit it using pod trunk in the command line. So one of the benefits of Carthage's decentralized nature and lack of pod specs is that if you want to use Carthage with third-party frameworks who haven't prepared them specifically for Carthage, you still can because pretty much all projects will be using tags in Git and will have schemes that are shared. So I used it today with a framework that I don't think the authors had specifically considered Carthage with, and, and it worked. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and so basically what it, all it will do is uh, download the code, build it. Differently from CocoaPods, you don't integrate the source code into your project. You integrate the binaries into your project. So the idea is you use Carthage to automate the downloading of the source code and the compiling of it using Xcode build, then produces the binary artifacts for the framework. Um, and by default, it creates a fat binary, so it contains code for the x86 chipset for the simulator as well as the ARM processor for devices in, in the one binary. And then you basically, you as the developer, are then responsible for integrating that binary into your project. And what that means in practice is you basically drag and drop the .framework file from the finder into the libraries. You would have to add it to your uh, link link against... Linked libraries and frameworks. You can also add it to link binary with libraries and then embed frameworks if it's a framework. Yeah, so I, th section. I think I went through this process and it didn't work. Like, I think they actually do different things, which is what has confused the crap out of me. This is just link binary with libraries, just in a different place. You also got to copy them, though. Is that something to do with it? Yes. So if you're looking at the general tab, it's embedded binaries to for the ones that get copied and linked framework and libraries for the ones that get linked. But in build phases, it's link binary with libraries. So that's the ones that get linked to your target, which means that it should actually get auto completion, all that sort of stuff. But the framework won't get copied into place with that. You have to specifically create a, a copy files phase. build phase. Yeah. And I think new projects get this by default, but you have to create it for old ones, um, ones that have existed before it became a thing. You call it embed frameworks and then you select the destination, which is usually frameworks, and then add your frameworks that you're wanting to you know, copy into your frameworks folder that way. 
Yeah, and in Carthage, it gets a bit strange at this point because when you use Carthage to build the framework, by default, it creates a universal binary. At some point, Apple changed App Store submission that you can't submit universal binaries. So Carthage has got a, a command line tool that comes with it um, that you can call. So instead of using the built-in Xcode copy files phase, you use a run script phase and use a Carthage command line tool to basically copy the ARM part of the framework into your build application rather than the fat binary. Right. Um, but that's on the Carthage website. Is that part of the Bitcode thing that's coming out or is that? No, so I think it was before Bitcode. Like it, this okay. was in Xcode 6. Prior to this year's WWDC where Apple announced Bitcode, um, they stopped. They started rejecting apps that were submitted to the App Store with uni- with um, fat binaries in them. Kind of makes sense when you're dealing with iOS based yeah, stuff. It does. I mean, it's never the, run. the thing that's really nice about universal binaries is it's a it's a hassle to be linking against two different versions of a framework, one for use in the simulator and one for use on device. Because really, when you're developing, you switch between device and simulator all the time, and you don't want to actually be having separate. Does the simulator not support like just the default binaries? Because I've never had this problem. No, so that's that's because when you're using CocoaPods, it's building it. No, no, it's building it for x86. Yeah, no, I I realize I get. I'm, I mean, I get that CocoaPods is one thing, but I've got frameworks that I build that uh, that are set up myself, and they build. Yeah, that's the same the thing. So it's just building it for x86. The when you hit build and run, it's going through and building it for x86, not for ARM. And then it runs in the simulator. Okay. Whereas Carthage, because it does the building itself Pri- outside, outside of, of your project. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, I get it. It doesn't actually rebuild it when you click build and run. Which has a downside, right? It means that the process of, like, the source code for the frameworks aren't part of your project. So if you're writing both the framework and the application that uses it at the same time, as you were saying before, and you make a change in the app that needs to use something in the framework, you've got to, like rebuild the framework, fire up Carthage again, rebuild it, get the updated binary. But I think most of the time, to me, that's okay. Like, I don't mind. I actually quite like the simplification. There's another disadvantage with that in that if it's your own code or even open source code, you can't step through it now, which is the thing that I found, unless there is a way to set that up. Because in CocoaPods, because the source code's right there, you can step straight into it and go, oh, the bug's in the framework, not in my code. Yeah. Which you can't. You can't do that with Carthage because it's all pre-compiled. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't run into that yet, but you're right. So that's basically Carthage. I should mention that the reason I was exploring it was because I got myself into a state of terrible confusion trying to do a Watch OS 2 app the other day. Basically, I'm trying to create an iPhone app and a Watch app that both use the same framework. Yep. And I really struggled <laughs> to get that to work. I think it highlighted to me how little I understood of Xcode's projects and targets and schemes and all the places you have to set up stuff to build code properly. And I was basically looking to try and simplify my setup. And in the end, yeah, I've I've got it working and I'm using Carthage to build the framework um, and then just integrating it as a binary framework into my Xcode project. But this is a framework that you're building yourself, right? Yes, it is. So that means that that means that you have to add the overhead of managing the Carthage project elsewhere. Yeah, you mean the framework project? Yeah, yeah, just in a separate repo. Yeah, yeah. But you have to use a separate. If you've got 
a change that you need to make to the framework in order to you know make something work in your app you have to go to that project and make the change and then come back yeah hmm. exactly yeah and that is a, a slight overhead yeah um, which is why i use submodules for building projects yeah directly but there are a few kind of gotchas with yeah building projects for frameworks that you want to embed in extensions and stuff like that oh yeah so one of them is extension safe apis you have to mark your framework as being only using extension safe apis so as an example i have a utilities library that i use across my app it's a bunch of common just methods and classes that i use this utilities framework exists in both my regular app and the extensions but in order to be able to link against the framework i will get a warning if i don't mark the framework not the executable the framework so the utilities framework has to be marked to say that it only uses extension extension safe APIs. apis yeah so if you want to use that same utilities framework from a watch extension running on watch os 2 yeah you'll have to create a new target for your framework to build a watch os extension sorry a watch os framework because it's different so they use different frameworks um it's a different target because it's a different platform okay and when you're you're in xcode your watch os 2 framework target won't have that tick box for okay. only, only uses extension safe apis which confuses me because i think i still get that warning all the time and i can't find anywhere to tick to turn off the warning that could just be an xcode 7 bug i don't know yeah i don't know either i'm confused if anyone knows the answer please tell me but i found the process of getting a shared framework to work in both an iphone app and a watch os 2 app to be incredibly challenging i didn't realize for example that they're a separate you need a separate target and also if you're using third-party frameworks you need to make sure that they've got watch os 2 targets as well Wow. <laughs> I would have just assumed that you build a framework and you embed it and you're done. Not if it was built as an iOS framework. Because it's running watchOS, not iOS. Exactly. So it's like building for Mac, Mac. OS. It's a third platform. And We've then, got, so yeah. if, you, if you want to do a framework that supports Mac OS, iOS, and watchOS, you need three targets. Right. Three separate framework targets. Mm. I guess it makes sense now that you explain it. Yeah, it took me a while to wrap my head around because watchOS 1, right, it sounds like the transition from watchOS to watchOS 2 is just we took your WatchKit extension and instead of it running on the phone, it's now running on the watch. But it's kind of not like that. It's like a whole separate thing. But the reason that that checkbox might not exist is because it's you're building specifically for that platform. Yeah. So it might not, it might, that might be an assumed flag. Yeah. That it might not be possible to have a watchOS framework that allows non extension safe APIs. But yeah, that's the main. That's the major thing to that you'll bump up against if you're trying to use a framework across just basic extensions. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So in summary, I've I've got a list of things that I like about CocoaPods and a list of things I like about Carthage. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered them all. I like the fact that CocoaPods lets you helps you to discover stuff as well as using it. Um. I like the stuff. I like that it does the Xcode stuff for me, so I haven't had to actually understand what's going on with my targets and schemes and projects and workspaces, and like it just works. Um. And things I like about Carthage are that it's. I found it really easy to use to expose my framework as something that could be used. Um. All I had to do was mark my scheme as shared, make sure I had a Git tag. Um. And I kind of now like that Carthage doesn't do any of the Xcode stuff. Is it possible to simultaneously like one thing about Carthage and the opposite thing about CocoaPods? 
Yeah, well, the the fact that CocoaPods does the Xco stuff is also its biggest disadvantage because as soon as it touches something that you also need to touch, you get into trouble, yeah. which is XE config files. That's the main one that most people hit. So CocoaPods uses XE config files to help build your project. But if you also have one, you can't have two. So you've got to include the pods one in your one and it starts to get a little messy and not like clean, which is sort of, sort of CocoaPods way. Mm. And the thing that I don't like about the fact that it does the Xcode stuff for me is that um I didn't understand what it was doing. You know, like when something does something for you, it's fine until you want to do something that it doesn't do by default or you kind of get to a point where you yeah. realize, actually, I should really understand this stuff. So Carthage, I've enjoyed that I've had to learn a little bit more about how Xcode projects, you can set up dependencies and you know things like that. So therefore, maybe the biggest failing of Carthage is the fact that it doesn't have a way of discovering libraries? Because the way that you're describing it, it sounds like Carthage is better for people that are creating repos overall and CocoaPods is better for the people using them mostly. Yeah, I guess so. I also think they've just got different philosophies. Like Carthage is kind of like very minimal. We're not going to do too much for you. Uh, You take responsibility of finding the stuff you want to use. All we'll do is download and build it for you. And then you take responsibility for integrating into your project however you want. Hmm. Um, And so if you're kind of in that minimal mindset where you like to set things up just so for yourself then you might prefer Carthage's approach. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're the sort of person that enjoys tools that do things for you, um, then you might enjoy CocoaPods more. I haven't tried to use both together. Have either of you? Do you think that'd work? I haven't used Carthage, but I don't see why not. Well, that's the kind of point of Carthage. It doesn't touch the Xcode project, so you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. So yes, it definitely works together. Because I know, I mean, obviously I use use submodules and CocoaPods and they work alongside each other just fine. Hmm. So there's no reason why you couldn't add Carthage for some dependencies and CocoaPods for other dependencies. You could. That sounds horrifying. It does sound a little bit messy, but it's possible. One of the biggest kind of failings that I think people make, that people attribute to CocoaPods is that it makes, because of the ease of discovery, it makes it a lot easier for people to add dependencies to their projects without really thinking about it and really kind of considering the cost. Hmm. And there is a cost. If you're adding a framework to your project in order to... Uh, you know, use one class or one method. Mm, you're adding, like, you're essentially bundling a whole framework into your app, a whole library into your app in order to use one thing. So yeah. you're, that means that you're potentially adding a bunch of different classes that are getting linked against your app and that sort of thing. And you're using, like, one, two things. Usually that is a big no-no, or I would consider that a big no-no. But because... It's so easy, people don't think about that, especially people that are kind of new to development. Another point that's really new is that Etsy discovered the other day, because when we first got dynamic frameworks, there was a lot of talk about, oh, the best way now to set up your project will be a whole pile of micro frameworks that are like really pinpoint, just do exactly this one little thing and you just include it. Yep. Um, But they've come out and said that it destroys your startup time. So they switched to a whole pile of micro frameworks and their app was taking 10 seconds to start up. Oh, gosh. Up from effectively no, no time. That's terrible. Because it has to load in all those frame, all those dynamic frameworks need to be loaded. So it didn't really work. It was a great idea in theory that didn't work out in practice. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff you get when you're 
pulling in all these frameworks, one line of code. Yeah. There's definitely hidden cost. Yeah. And especially when you've got, like, you're pulling in a framework and it has its own dependencies. And so you have to link against those frameworks as well, even though you may not be using them. You may not be using the stuff that yeah. it's dependent on. And all of a sudden you've got entire projects in your project that you're not actually, wow, this is getting like inception level. But it's it, like, it really does. So. Like I ran into an issue the other day working on an app where two different dependencies both depended on different versions of AF networking. And I don't know whether any of the features of the dependencies were act- that used AF networking were actually being exercised in my use of those dependencies yeah but it doesn't take long adding a few frameworks before you've you're inadvertently adding a whole lot of code without necessarily knowing which of it is being executed in your app it gets complex mm. i think i don't know what i don't know that there's a simple answer um cocoa pods have this in their frequently asked questions about exactly your point saying people have criticized cocoa pods because it makes it too easy to add dependencies without thinking and they've linked to a blog post that they think is a good uh, example of the sorts of things you should consider before adding a third-party framework. Yeah, and there are definitely things that you should consider. It's all about having a bit of forethought about what you're actually doing and not just you know linking to a third-party framework because it manages to do what you're doing anyway and that way you don't have to write it. I mean, it, it kind of throws back to, remember 320? Yes, I do. And it was like it was a huge like library that you could embed in your in your app, and you get all these you know benefits for you know essentially for free, but not really because it was massive. Mm. It was good you know for making it easy to you know just use things, but it meant you know you had this big clunky library added to your as a dependency to your code, which meant that you know if you were just using one thing from three twenty, which three twenty was. It wasn't just like, you know, one specific no, thing. No, it, was it was a whole of bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's dependencies. That's the sort of dependencies where you might only be using one thing, but you're having to, you know, link against a whole bunch of things in order to make it work. And it's not a good idea. Yeah. I think there's an appropriate sort of scale of framework where, Ben, your point about micro frameworks is an interesting one. You don't want them to be too small because then you've got to link against too many to get any utility. But at the same time, you don't want monolithic ones like 320 where you've got to add this huge thing only to use a small part of it. Right. So there's some there's there's got to be some nice in-between where you get a fair bit of utility from adding something, uh, but you're not getting more baggage. And it might be the sort of thing where eventually we get to the point where these dependency managers build, rather than building you know several different frameworks, they build one framework that you embed in your, your thing for all the dependencies that they cover, which I believe... CocoaPods might do, although I haven't actually looked into it. They do build, when you set it up to use frameworks, they do build like each specific dependency as a framework, but they have a pods framework that they build. Ah, that's kind of cool. CocoaPods is static, right? Just try to remember everything. No, 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 no. no. So you can can make both now. So that's my point. Like, Mm, so you can build, like, so when it's a static library, you're building one library, it doesn't build one for each thing. When you build a framework, it builds a bunch of frameworks. So the thing with frameworks yeah. that is nice, certainly in Swift, and I don't know whether this is the case in Objective-C, is you have one module per framework. So it's useful for namespacing, right? So you can have you don't have to have prefixes yeah. at the beginning of all your class names because you well, know... that clearly doesn't you know, apply to Objective-C because Objective-C doesn't have namespacing. It doesn't have modules? It does have modules. It's just they don't work like namespaces like in Swift. Okay. Yeah. So in Swift, you get a namespace for each module. 
Um, so you don't have to have class prefixes. So you wouldn't want the CocoaPod, like the Uber framework you're describing, because if two frameworks both happen to use the same class name for something, you'd then get a conflict. Well, they do they do build a, a, a pods framework, so I don't know. Oh, gosh, what are they doing, I wonder? I don't know. For whatever reason, it's not built right now, and so I can't look at the headers, but yep. Finally, I think something we should touch on in discussions of frameworks is how easy it's getting to use the first-party frameworks Apple provides. So I remember when, I don't know when this was, but it used to be that before you could use one of Apple's frameworks, you had to actually go into the link frameworks and libraries yeah. section and add it. And now you can just type That's in, when import we got framework name at the top and it does at it for import. You. That's when we got modules. Modules brought that. Awesome. When was that? Well, it's an LLVM feature, right? So Xcode 5, 6, I don't know, I'm just guessing. It's awesome. It, but it was anyway, it's when we got at import is when you didn't have to go in and like you wanted to use AV Foundation where you also got to include all of these frameworks. Yeah, exactly. You just, you just you now type to, import You had to go AV, look that AV up. Foundation. Yeah. And not not only that, but you can go into the capabilities tab of your target and you can just turn on whatever feature that you specifically want. And if it requires a framework linked, then it will just link it. It'll just do that. It'll yeah. you know, spin for a little bit and then it'll be done. It's nice. That capabilities tab does some crazy stuff too. Like it interacts with the developer portal mm. to change Set up entitlements. Yeah. And yeah, entitlements and provisioning stuff and all that sort of crazy stuff crazy crazy well that is all i had about um frameworks congratulations i don't know <laughs> i felt like it was an achievement to finally get my app built using a framework with the watch that uses the same framework but anyway it was an achievement for me if you would like to read about any of the things that we have talked about we will link to them in our show notes our show notes are at mobilecouch.co forward slash 62 if you would like to send us an email submit a bug report you can do that by jumping onto the website as well that's mobilecouch.co forward slash contact or if you're you know more old school want to use straight up email then you can send an email to hello at mobilecouch.co and you know they both work essentially the same way if you would like to get in contact with us individually you can do that also jake is on twitter as J McMullen, that's J M A C M U L I N. Ben is also on Twitter, Ben Trangrove, that's B E N T R E N G R O V E, and I am Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to our patrons for supporting the show. You guys are outstanding. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye.